time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning all. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics are... Our regular panel of political pundits on the left, Flint's uh, premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Hi, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you. Good morning, uh, Tom, and good morning, Paul. Good morning, Henry. And it's always fun when we're joined by East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson. Hi, Jan. Good morning. Good morning, Jan. Did I get Hi, Jan. Did I get the new title right? Yes, you did. Thank you. Our transition is well underway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always start armchair politics with some quotes, and here's one that um, that I think kind of is interesting timing-wise. Um, but uh, fashioned after Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature finished the joke, we open armchair politics with finish the quote, where I ask, how would you finish this quote the most important political office is that of what hmm. the voter um, a citizen citizen i'm going to guess yep you got it that's the oh, that, uh, the original that was, that was a wild guess the original quote was the most important political office is that of the private citizen you know who said that oh. uh hmm. lewis brandeis oh oh 
was interesting. Now, the the uh, quote of the yeah. week will will uh, well. I I just thought it'd be interesting to bring that up because the Supreme Court has been in the news, and we'll we'll get into that and talk about that a little later. But um, <clears throat> the quote of the week. This is an odd one. I'll remember it, Tom. I'm going to remember it, Tom. Hello, Mr. President. This is Governor Wolf. I need help. I need help. You know what? These people are bad. <laughs> oh, gee, that's an interesting one. Hi. Was that the governor of um, California? No, that was that was President Donald Trump. He said something incredible, even by his own standards, at a rally in Allentown, Pennsylvania, on Tuesday. He was recounting how his campaign had to move the site of the rally to comply with Democratic Governor Tom Wolf's COVID-19 protocols. Was that a threat? I, I remember now. Yeah, I... So is that the time when he was threatening to withdraw federal funds? Well, that's what people are are inferring from it, and and that's my question: Is this a threat? Well, so often not a Trump, it often is. But I've not heard that quote. That's interesting. Yeah, but I do recall reading about the the, the change of location and the, the very briefly heard the issue there. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well. I mean, real or real or implied, it would be surprising. Jan, are you still with us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear you now. We lost you there for a moment. It's kind of breaking up, Jan. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Oh. Am well, I still breaking? No, you sound clear now. Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, when did I say lock up the governor? When would I lock her up? Of course I don't want to lock her up. Then it would be the president. That's Trump. It was. That's, President yeah. Donald Trump yeah. bristled at questions related to Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer during an interview Tuesday on CBS's 60 Minutes shortly before abruptly halting the interview, a recording Trump released on Facebook shows. Trump attended a rally near Muskegon on Saturday where he criticized Whitmer's response to the coronavirus pandemic. In response, many of the crowd chanted, lock her up. The president, laughing, said lock them all up, according to video hmm. of the event. Should President Trump be held accountable for the chance of attendees at his campaign rallies? Obviously he should, but, you know, it's going to be a long wait for that. Uh, maybe it's going to take November 3rd. I mean, uh, the re his reaction to what happened with Whitmer is <clears throat> one of his lowest points, I think. Um, he's He has made her look like she's the villain in a situation where her life was actually threatened actively. So, I I mean, seeing seeing that, that video clip that you're talking about um, was chilling to me. He's laughing, and then he ends up saying, lock them all up. Uh, I just found it chilling. Well, I don't. I don't think though he should be accountable for who attends his rallies. If I want to go attend a Democrat uh, rally, that's my choice. You no, can't but he stop should, me. Yeah. What he says but, and how he reacts to what his crowds are doing. Yeah. You know, but, but, when, but, but, when he started yelling that, the responsible thing to do would be to say, "We want no part of yeah. this kind of nonsense." Um, I agree. 
We, we, and, and in America, John, John we McCain don't... did something like that during his campaign. I was going to say this locker up catch phrase though has been part of Trump's uh, shtick for a while. I mean, he, he'd use it for Hillary back in '16, and it's been you know yeah. a, a standard part of his uh, of the Trump show ever since that time, in, in one way or another. Right. And and that's uh, guys, you'll notice that I'm not take I'm not participating in any fighting or arguing. Over the right. yeah, no, I, we everything appreciate is that, set. Henry, yeah. everything I, is set now, and uh, I'll still do my best to support the candidate, but I won't support shenanigans and stuff like that. No. Yeah, thank any, you, Henry. Any I of the candidates, and that's yeah. always put you in an awkward position, Henry, because um, you are as much of a gentleman as anyone I have ever met, and when the president behaves ungentlemanly. Um, it's it it seems to me it would be difficult for you to defend him even if you agree with his policies and and support him generally. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I, I thank you. I thank you all both. I try to um, right. do what yeah. is right for the American people, for my family, for my culture, and the people I love in this country and its yeah. institutions and its. Um, Constitution, and it shows, Henry. It really does. It does. You're, you are a gentleman. Well, that seems like that. a weird, uh, a weird yeah. place to um, transition to uh, Flint City Council uh, politics. But uh, <laughs> three Flint City Council members have refused to sign a confidentiality agreement before discussing a possible settlement of civil lawsuits related to the Flint water crisis. They blocked a planned closed-door briefing that had been scheduled for Monday. Council members uh, Monica Galloway, Jerry Winfrey Carter, and Maurice Davis voted against the confidentiality request Monday in order to meet with city attorneys to discuss issues related to the lawsuits. The city has yet to settle civil lawsuits brought against it by Flint residents over the water crisis, but the state of Michigan in August offered to settle all pending civil lawsuits against it and its employees for any wrongdoing related to the water crisis for $600 million. It was not immediately clear whether the purpose of the closed-door session requested by city attorneys was to discuss the state's settlement offer in advance of it being filed in U.S. District Court or whether the city and its insurance company have agreed to join in the state settlement potentially increasing the pool of funds to pay residents harmed by lead and bacteria in city water. Councilwoman Kate Fields said during Monday's meeting that a mediator involved in settlement discussions insisted on the confidentiality agreements, but Fields said Tuesday that council members don't know exactly what aspects of the lawsuits were going to be discussed. If there's a settlement proposal from the city, council has to approve it, Fields said. Although Fields and council members Herbert Winfrey, Santino, Guerra, Alan Griggs, and Eva Worthing voted to enter into the executive session Monday, their support fell short of a two-thirds majority that is required for a public body to close its meeting to the public. Councilman Eric Mays abstained from the vote. Why not agree to the confidentiality agreements? Right, I'm confused. I'm confused. Well, I mean, I, I think aren't they aren't those agreements rather normal for you know? Well, that's what I'm asking. Contract negotiations, things like that. 
Uh, yes. and that, that's what I when I saw the story. That's what I took it is that those kind of you know contractual negotiations are often closed. Close executives close meetings. Yes, they are. Maybe one of you guys would know why would you call for confidentiality? Uh, I guess that would be one of my one of my questions. Is I'm confused, but I don't I don't understand the situation. Like, what's the what's the significance of of <clears throat> asking for a confidentiality agreement in that case? If you disagree, it sounds like some shenanigans have been going on, and and they are illegal. Uh, why not keep the process open? If it, yeah, that if I mean, it, my first the public has a right to. Yes. Well, I mean, without knowing the legal aspects of it, uh, why not make it transparent? Is the confidence, yeah, I mean, is in, are the negotiations about who specifically is, how they're going to dole out the $600 million and they don't want to name names until everything is set, or I, I don't quite understand it. Well, it sounds a little bit from this, uh, from this article from MLive as though the council people invited to the meeting didn't know what they were going to talk about and were being asked to sign confidentiality agreements well you know i can understand some people holding back and saying wait i'm not going to sign you know a confidential a confidentiality agreement about something that may or may not come up in a meeting you don't want to sign a blank check yeah I, i can see i can see that if it's if there's it's not clear what we're talking about. So then I guess yeah, the, quest, the question is not so much why didn't the members who refused to sign sign, why did the ones who agreed to sign sign? Right. One could ask questions yeah, about both ends of that. Yeah. And it seems to me that they could have had an attorney and used attorney-client privilege to um, hold the stuff confidential. Do they feel like you could do that. Do you think it's a can of worms that they think if people start hearing how the money's going to be doled out that it's there will be hell to pay and they they want an opportunity yeah, that, to it privately before the decisions are made or I, yeah I maybe the people who actually believe in it believe that there's some substance there is a yeah. uh, there's another side to the story and they don't want to get caught with that other right. side yeah again, we're we, not we really don't know what they were here. talking about. Yeah. yeah, we don't know what the, there's not enough information. Hmm. Well, it's uh, typical that the, that there's chaos in, in the Flint City Council. and <laughs> Right, that's normal, unfortunately. I, I just don't understand exactly why it's so hard for them to get anything done and make decisions. Although in this case, it seems like it's a legitimate uh, issue to question the whole matter and uh, but how did they? But the the issue with them is it's so difficult for them to come to any kind of resolution of anything, um, and they're very divided and everything. So I guess that's a larger issue besides the specific of this I- instance that you brought up. Um. Well, on that note, we've got to take a short break. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio, they are a broadcast service of uh, the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. If you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll have more armchair politics with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Jan Worth Nelson when we come back.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Fabulous 60s, the marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artist who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janice Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees. What have they done to the rain by the Searchers? In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley. Silent Night, 7 o'clock news by Simon and Garfunkel. And who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War. All for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the Electric Prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian Hand People, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something that will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner. 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, joined uh, this week by uh, Jan Worth Nelson. And uh, as we uh, move on into some of the uh, local things that have been going on, 11 inmates in the county jail have tested positive for the coronavirus and are in quarantine. Sheriff Chris Swanson said Tuesday that a jail trustee was the first positive case when tested last week, leading to expanded testing and resulting in 10 additional positive cases. Until last week, there had been no coronavirus cases among the uh, jail population, which was at approximately 570 in beds and booking cells as of Tuesday. Swanson said that in addition to inmates who tested positive for COVID-19, three jail employees are currently quarantining at home after testing positive. Although inmates can choose to be tested for the virus, masks must be worn outside cells and temperatures are checked for anyone who enters the jail, the sheriff said. Inmates who have tested positive are being um, housed in a quarantine area of the jail, he said, and are in negative pressure cells that were originally designed for tuberculosis patients and provide greater circulation of air inside the cells. Why do you think COVID-19 is showing up in places it hasn't been? And are you a little surprised that there are functioning cells designed for TB in the county jail? I know. Yeah, I, when weird. you were reading that, I, that was the part that grabbed me the most. My God, it sounds like... Yeah, I didn't know we had that. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Man. Wow. It I is how interesting how it's being... Go ahead. No, I was wondering, was that part of the initial construction of the building, or have they added that in recent years, or how far back does that go? I've, I, I'd never heard that before. Me either. Well, when was the last yeah. time they had to be concerned about uh, inmates with TB? Yeah, yeah I was that say, was I, like... I, that, that's true. Now, the, the question I have that, that, you know, if we had the sheriff here, is was this something that they did and then decided that having a quarantine area in the jail was a good idea and just kept it there and available hmm. well for something like this yeah yeah planning ahead I mean, you in, mean what an idea <clears throat> well you know I mean, in, in hindsight it's in light of what's apparently happened, it's nice to have it there, but I just said I did not know we had that facility as part of the jail. But what do you uh, but you what say, do you think about this idea that we're starting to see COVID nineteen in places where it hasn't been? Rural areas, we're seeing it uh, spiking uh, kind of dramatically in the upper peninsula. Right. Well I mean the virus uh is gonna have its waves. It's it's always looking for new territory to jump into. Uh, what do I make of it? I mean, th- th- some of the areas where it's going are the areas that are the biggest uh, Trump supporters. The, some of the people are the most skeptical of masks and have you know touted the uh, importance of freedom and in a, in a weird way. Um, I mean, but I I hesitate to make it about politics when I'm answering your query because. The virus really doesn't go by politics; it goes That's by true. availability. Yeah. 
but but the fact is that in those areas they've been pretty casual about wearing masks and so forth. Maybe partially because of politics and partially because they thought when it first came out, all we heard about was New York and other big cities. So folks who lived in rural areas were felt they could dismiss it as somebody else's problem. Yeah, and, and it was a hoax. They not, were told repeatedly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There were an awful lot of people from downstate when things started to relax a little bit that 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 stampeded for the UP actually. Yeah, that's that's also true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they may Didn't not have Traverse done their not have done their friends up there any favors. Yeah, yeah. Didn't Traverse City put out a warning a, a warning to have people not come up there for, for to their vacation homes during the height of the crisis uh, back in the late spring? Because uh, people were leaving Detroit and Southeast Michigan, going up to their their second homes often, and, and they didn't have the hospital staff up there to take care of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty sad. Hmm. Well, the Hurley Medical Center pediatrician who helped blow the whistle on the Flint water crisis has been awarded the 2020. And this reads like Fry's Prize, but I have to guess maybe it's supposed to be Freeze Prize for improving public health and has already donated the $60,000 in prize money to Flint's recovery efforts. I'm so oh. I'm so honored and humbled to be the 2020 recipient of the prize. Dr. Uh, Mona Hanna-Atisha said in an email to MLive, um, it was created to be something like the Nobel Prize in health. The recognition also has added gravity because I'm the first woman recipient in over a decade and only the fourth woman in the almost 30-year history of the award. The $60,000 prize money has already been directed, uh, directly donated to the Pediatric Public Health Initiative. It will go to our ongoing and long-term recovery efforts, including the... Uh, support of a pediatric public health fellowship to train the next generation of pediatricians committed to public health and protecting our most vulnerable children. Our first fellow starts in 2021. The Freeze Prize for Improving Health Award was presented Monday at the American Public Health Association's annual meeting, which took place virtually. The award recognizes an individual who has made major accomplishments in health improvement with emphasis on recent contributions to health in the United States. According to a news release announcing the award, it is intended for an individual who has done the most to improve health for the greatest number of people. Are you surprised by this? Um... I mean, I don't well, know what you're talking about, but I can't say that I am. I mean, she's, she's certainly deserves it. It was a logical reward she's gotten. For a, a person who has accomplished as much as she did, it was a logical choice. And she will get that back in many, many ways from the institutions yeah. throughout America. Uh, yeah, I mean, and in also a, from. What happened in that fall of 2016, was it that was when she blew the whistle? That incredible yeah. Yeah. Um, water. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she's really been a tireless advocate for Flint's, the health of Flint's children and all of the aspects of it ever since then, and with her book and her appearances all around the country. and um, I mean, she really has been out there trying to do the right thing. And, you know, congratulations to her, too, for donating the money. That's pretty remarkable. True. Yeah, that's well-deserved. Surprise by and, and it. 
And it will also help to reduce the amount of anger uh, that people have with people who are not born in this country. She's done ah, a great good job. Good point, Henry. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Because that was so that was so evident everywhere. And I I applaud her. Well, when I yeah. saw that not, that Fry's prize and it's spelled just like that, F R I E S and I I had not heard of it before, so I don't know if it's fries or freeze. And I, when I first saw it, I thought, oh well, that's nice. Doctor Mona's going to take a bunch of kids to McDonald's for French fries. <laughs> um, but then I, you know, dug down deeper into the article, and and it is a pretty amazing thing. And kudos to her, as everyone has already indicated, for um, <clears throat> making those those accolades into contributions to efforts to make things better for Flint's kids. Uh, she has received a great many awards over in, in recent years, well-deserved. I've not really seen a full list of them, but it seems like every other month there's a new award she's receiving for her efforts. I'm going to say well-deserved. She's also been a pretty relentless voice for hope and resilience, um, and sometimes that's bugged me. Like It's like, um, when the news was so grim, it sometimes felt like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm or something. But I, I feel like um, she's. It's important that there's somebody who says, "Yeah, some terrible things have happened, and yet there's hope in in these directions." You know, so she's been pretty relentlessly determined to not despair, and uh, and I and I do honor that part of of her voice too. You know, one thing worth mentioning is that now as with the coronavirus crisis and, and the election stuff, the the water crisis has somewhat gone to the, the back into the shadow. So it just just keeps that issue vital and alive to some degree. Yeah, that seems like and a million the, years, doesn't it? You know, the fastest growing interest uh, among occupational therapists and people who become involved in business arrangements is healthcare. Healthcare is the fastest growing uh, occupation there is among nurses and other health officials like doctor's assistants and so on and so forth. And so that is con- likely to continue to grow to be ultimately the largest profession in the world because of coronavirus and oh. because of other things too. People are getting yeah. older and they and they require more health and the older people have the money to spend. So. Well, I think Henry, I think you're right. Here, I, somewhere I saw here in Genesee County, we do, we think of this as being the vehicle city and all that. But I, somebody once asserted that there were far more healthcare workers in Genesee County than there were auto workers, even even oh, in, the, yes. in the in the heydays. If you had all the doctors' offices, all the hospitals, and all, you know, they're not a single organization, obviously. But clearly, if you collect all the healthcare workers in Genesee County. It may be the single largest occupation we have in Genesee County. Yes, I believe it is. Wow. Because that's what comes uh, through the school districts, uh, where the emphasis, where they need to direct their kids to get worthwhile jobs and to pursue an, an interesting career. The health care has been number one for quite a while. Hmm. Did, did you know that the average nurse gets a, a person can start as a, as a nurse? Um, here, anywhere in the United States, 
to up to $150,000 a year. And that's no chump change. That used to belong to automobile industries and so on and so forth. But health care is superseding them. Wow. Nurses You're are rising. Starting salary? $150,000 for a practical nurse. For a nurse? Certified nurse. For a nurse, yes. Wow. It's published on the walls of schools there, the yeah. the, the job top pay ranges. I'll try to get one to uh, send to you by email mm. to let you know where we're going with health care. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of what Motita, Motisha has done, Dr. Motisha has done, is is helping that to grow. The coronaviruses, these things that we're having that we can't predict and it, don't have solutions for. It's sort of sad in a weird way that healthcare expenses are by far outpacing education expenses. Is that true, do you think? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> if you go into the hospital and you, if you're uh, in the hospital for three days, it's going to cost you well over in the thousands of dollars. Yeah, I know. But if you just sure. go to your doctor, yeah. it may charge you only hundreds of dollars. But uh, health care um, uh, officials are there for a long time, and so is the institution itself. And mm. because they have the most capacity to to heal people, they can put them in isolated places like we do with COVID. Right. And other, uh, yeah. And, and, and people who have the money are willing to pay that. Insurance companies are willing to pay it. They just up the rates and they do what? You know, it's a, this is a gloomy way to put it, but uh, it's the way I, I kind of feel today uh, with the news about the coronavirus. It feels like the country is just so much sicker than it was. Yes. And not only mentally. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Mentally, <laughs> physically, everybody's sicker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we always used to brag about the U.S. having the greatest health care system in the world. And now with the coronavirus, you kind of wonder. <laughs> you see, a lot of other countries have done a better job than we have. It, it may not be entirely due to the health care system, maybe our own behavior and other factors, too. But <clears throat> clearly, the, the boasting we had done about how great our health care system was is at least raises some doubts. I'm a little troubled that right. Anthony Fauci said he doesn't think this is a second wave, but rather a resurgence of the first wave because we didn't squash it enough. Right. Well, yeah. 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 That. That's. Well, do you think old uh, Anthony Tony Fauci is going to get through this? I, I worry about Tony Fauci himself. Um, True. He has had a rough go of it. But yeah, it, it's hard being a truth teller, I guess. Well, let's. But that's uh, what let's, the world wants, and that's what it needs. Let's let's move on. The alleged plot to kidnap and possibly kill Governor Gretchen Whitmer, along with armed protests against COVID nineteen orders and social justice movements, are evidence Michigan has an increased chance of violence or other problems on election day. Say the authors of a newly published report. The report, released by the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project and a group called Militia Watch, says Michigan is one of five states at highest risk of increased militia activity in the election and post-election period. 
The other states at highest risk are Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Oregon, according to the report. What election result is most likely to spur potential violent reaction? I think Trump losing would be... Trump losing and then, then a long, drawn-out battle in the courts of some kind. I mean, ah. would also cause, which is a, it's a possibility. See, I think the uncertainty is the bigger danger. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because yeah. that could lead to, oh, yeah, if we don't know who won and it turns into a big extended fight. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's going to be. <clears throat> that's ugh. scary. It's scary. You, you guys don't, you, you, we've never had any war on, in our land during our, at least our lifetime. Not and, in our lifetime. Uh, we, yes, and, well, we had the Mexican Wars here in the West and the Civil War and so on and so forth. But you can imagine people who don't know each other and people don't care and they have lost their values and their, uh, the Constitution that protects us and makes us solve our problems, uh, that's what good about the Constitution, make us solve our problem, even if we have differences. It right. says, yeah, you must sit down and talk about this. And that's yeah. the only and solution. Michigan, Michigan does have a history of these militias. I mean, the, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing folks have some ties to Michigan, the clan activity down in, in, in Livingston County in past years. So there's more than a little history of that kind of stuff in, yes. in this state. Right. Uh, Henry, from your radar, what are you feeling and seeing about, you know, uh, I mean, I worry about uh, on my end of things or my sort of view, but what what is it feeling like to you right now on that score? Well, you know, I, I really don't want to see us break up like, a, you know, a cucumber. I want us to... to uh, survive and I want the Constitution to survive. Right. And to me, uh, if we have uh, dismemberment of the country due to the election not clearly resolved, that could really be ugly. People can actually turn guns on each other because we've got how many millions of guns? Uh, there are only 330 million people and we have all of these guns and automatic repeaters and a mindset where we are so mad and angry at something. It doesn't, we don't even understand what we're mad at. But that's really bad. Yeah. Well, two lawsuits were filed Thursday seeking to nullify Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's recent directive to ban the open carry of guns at polling places and other sites on Election Day. Both suits were filed in the Michigan Court of Claims. One suit was filed by gun rights activist Thomas Lambert and three nonprofit organizations, Michigan Open Carry, Inc., Michigan Gun Owners, and the Michigan Coalition for Responsible Gun Owners. The other suit was filed by Robert Davis, a Wayne County activist and serial litigator. Recently, uh, Benson sent a directive to local uh, clerks stating, the open carrying of firearms within 100 feet of a polling place, clerk's office, or absentee ballot counting site would be banned on Election Day. The directive specifically acknowledges those with a license to carry a concealed weapon must continue to follow the law and guidelines that apply to where they're allowed to carry. 
In addition to Benson, the Lambert suit names as uh, defendants Attorney General Dana Nessel and Joseph Gasper, Director of the Michigan State Police. Can these legal challenges be resolved before next week's election? And do you think that uh, open carry enthusiasts will attempt to ignore the ban? Well, the the one ban was overturned, right, yesterday by uh, that Judge Murray? It might have been. Yeah, it yeah. the one one the Thomas guy whatever his name is that was overturned yesterday. So there's one where the uh the um people the open carry people were given a little pass, but I didn't know about the second one. Um I presume because the judge ruled on one of them that he probably did on the other one, but the article I saw it sounded like he ruled based on some kind of what to me sounded like preset, uh, sort of procedural Issues. Let's see. Maybe I can find that story. Um, but so, yeah. I mean, I. Ugh. I mean, sometimes I think this is all just posturing. And if it came down to it, would they really do it? Would they really start shooting? Uh, you know, I. I wonder. You know, I, I think. I think the fact that it's become such an issue is, is going to be almost a dare for those folks to do it. I. I, I would expect that whatever the court rules, you're going to see some of these folks show up. And, I, I, again, I don't think much is likely to happen, probably, but I think it's almost a deer, and just just for the publicity of it, you'll see some folks showing up armed to the teeth at some polls here and there around the state. And what happens after that, I don't know. Yeah, it's a really... Well, amazing. we had the same situation at Clio Schools, and yeah. we got through it. And uh, it just looks like another test. And I, I'm hoping that the judges will make the right, sensible move. Guns well, you know, what, what strikes me as funny there. about what strikes me as funny about that the, the, the overall idea is that it, they claim there's a Second Amendment right to guns, but there's a First Amendment right to free speech. But in, in, in the polling place, you can't uh, wear campaign slogans on your T-shirt or pass out literature within the the, the, the voting area. So there are limits on that. Yeah. And why uh, why can't we have limits on guns at, at a polling place? It uh, you know there's there's all kind of limits on what you can do at a at a voting area, and on top of that, I think that many of them are of course at schools or at churches where there's other issues that are, are raised by that too. Right. I Just know. think they, about I, how you're scaring the heck out of kids. Just think yeah, about that. Yeah. And also, just think Dick. about think about the the. Um, Etiquette, uh, the the uh, decency of you're going in a public place. Why would you? Why would you have to insist on having a gun? I mean, it, it would just seem like for congeniality and for you know brother and sisterhood of this American thing. Why would you need to have your guns there? I, I mean, I would think that you want that to be a positive experience for everybody, and. Uh, I guess I'm just being a middle-class old white lady here to think, just behave yourself and think about other people and how it how it affects them, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like we it's a matter We need those old-age white women to stand up and <laughs> correct us when we, uh, when we uh, move in wrong directions. That's come okay. Come on, boys, you know. You have their right, yeah. Yeah, come on, behave yourself. Yeah, good grief. This is not the Wild West. No, and yeah. I, I think even on the Old West shows, there were parts where people had to give up their guns before they went into the bar. I remember like, those signs, right. check right. your guns at yeah. the door. 
Anyway, we got to take a short break and uh, and check our guns, and we'll be back for more <laughs> on chair politics oh. with uh, Paul Rosicki, like Henry Hatter, and Jan Worth Nelson. After we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise, and if you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We will be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. 
we haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Um, the idea that 14 men accused of planning to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer were actually trying to enact a legal citizen's arrest is far-fetched, law experts who spoke with M. Live say. Still, it's a possible legal defense. Barry County Sheriff Dar Leaf, who criticized Whitmer's coronavirus restrictions during a May 18th Michigan Patriot rally in Grand Rapids, at which he shared the stage with one of the criminally charged suspects, first raised the prospect that this may not have been a kidnapping plot at all. The sheriff, in response to a public backlash and calls for his resignation, told M Live his only point was that the case shouldn't be tried in the media and many of the facts are still forthcoming. Anthony Flores, a former Ingham County prosecutor, legal consultant and professor at Western Michigan University's uh, Cooley Law School, said he's never seen a citizen's arrest defense presented in his 29 years of criminal practice, but wouldn't be surprised if it is raised in this kidnapping plot case. What do you think of this possible defense? I think it's total think, malarkey to quote. <laughs> There's a magic word. Yeah. There's a magic word of the day. Yeah, that's, it mean, works it's, good it's, in the Western movies, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a real stretch. I mean, it's, when you've got nothing else to, to, to play on, maybe that's what you reach for, but I think they're, they're, they're obviously reaching for anything they can grab onto for a defense, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. At some point, the actual law enforcement community, uh, along with what I would hope would be citizens, would say, enough already. Stop it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw an article on, on the, the, the potential of a citizen's arrest. There is a right, but it's extremely limited, and frankly, it's extremely risky for a citizen to do it. Because if yes. you're a citizen and you try and do that and you're wrong, then you're in violation of the law and they face even worse consequences. So technically there is a power there for a citizen to make an arrest, but extremely limited and very, very tricky for, for anybody to try it. Uh, and and someone's even dangerous. And if you get shot or killed, you got no defense. Right, uh, exactly. Also, true. You pull the gun first, you know. Uh, yeah. No, I, I go back to Henry's sort of mournful comments of earlier about, you know, we have this constitution that and a, and a practice and a tradition of talking things out, sitting down together and trying to figure out. And, and that, so I sort of heard the mournfulness in that comment that you made, Henry, because it feels like that tradition has really gotten beat down, has gotten compromised. We don't just go and sh- somebody because they're trying to 
uh, I mean, I understand that the whole coronavirus thing has raised so many deep, difficult um, philosophical issues, like keeping people out of their churches has been painful, for example. Um, so it's like a conflict between trying to protect people and this painful sort of isolation and and uh, everything that's happened. But we don't go and shoot each other over that. That's that we just can't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I what I'm <clears throat> I'm thinking um, as we are all thinking here. I'm wondering how people who have been traditionally favorable to the United States uh, as a country to import their bodies and to um, find new homesteads and stuff like that. I'm just wondering how much that's changing with the intelligence around the world that we need and we seek to keep our economy and our intellectual culture high among all nations as an industrialized nation. And I'm just wondering how much of that is impacting yeah, because I don't think that people want to go any. I don't think people want to go anywhere. There's no, uh, you know, stable uh, justice or um, right. a place where they can, where they traditionally been able to do well as an immigrant into this country. But look yeah. at us now. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to go to. You don't know who to put your trust in. If it's not the government, a stable government, and uh, its institutions, then where do you go? People yeah, are looking yeah. at other places probably for that kind of opportunity. You know, I was thinking this, this is the rest stuff, Henry, and if, if if we were to accept that, does that mean anybody who disagrees with any governmental official can walk up and start a... <laughs> could somebody walk into the Flint City Council and start arresting folks left and right there, or the, the state legislature, or every other governor, or, or the White House? I mean, it, it opens the door to just... All kinds of crazy chaos, if you buy that argument. They have their own guns there. <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. Yeah, but they I mean, have their own guns. You can see all kinds of people applying this in, in yeah. a thousand different situations. Uh, yeah, and that's what, the danger. That's yeah, the I danger. mean, at what point have we lost faith in our democratic process that yeah. instead of engaging in the you know 250-year tradition of the democratic process that all of a sudden it's about militia and domestic terrorism and uh um how how has that happened that that becomes a that becomes a well how did uh, it happen before yeah well and and are we are we retracing the steps on that path right it feels kind of like we are i I, mean, hey, uh, I don't know. I I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like this week is one of the most nerve-wracking weeks of. Well, and and the thing I've been wanting to make sure and point out to people is that November third is no longer election day. Right. It is the day we right. start counting the votes. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably true. I mean, I, my guess is it'll be forty-eight hours or so, but it may be longer. And that's than that. dangerous if that's set by the Constitution. Yeah. You know, the third Monday from the second Sunday and all of that, you know. Uh, that's changing the Constitution, guys. And and as yeah. we change little bits by bit, we will find out we're not the same people we were in 1789. We're somebody new. Yeah. We yeah, don't recognize each other. Uh, we remember, you know, what really worries me is that on, on election night, if we have claims and counterclaims of victory, I can see 
crowds forming one way or the other, uh, you know, to, to protest what the other guy said. And I think that's a possibility. I mean, I could, if things aren't clear on, on election night, I can certainly see Trump declaring victory and, and maybe Biden as well. I don't know. But I can see that the anger is going to rise up as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, and then the looting and the rioting and stuff like that, people get out of control because they think this is our opportunity. Let's do it. We've kept them scared and at bay for a year now. Let's keep going. And that's what I'm afraid of, guys. Yeah. Now that I think about it, in 2000, I think there wasn't a huge thing, but there was an angry crowd event in Florida when they started recounting the votes there before a final decision was made in 2000. So, I mean... There was a little sign of, of that kind of kind of reaction even then. But, you know, Bush and Gore personally weren't wild and crazy inciters of violence. No, I, true. No. Them yeah. were. I mean, it didn't feel, it almost, looking back on that, it almost feels like innocence. Like, we were making jokes about hanging chads and everything, you know. Yes. Right. I mean, this feels so much darker and, and more um, dreadful and foreboding right now. That, like, I mean, you know, there was certain, um, dare I say, graciousness in the way that that happened in 2000, as awful as it was. Um, I don't know. I, I was wondering what you guys thought about Kavanaugh's news newsmaking comments that he made, um, basically saying in support of that Supreme Court decision about Wisconsin, well, this needs to be over on November 3rd, and we don't, for the sake of, a, I, I forget exactly how he worded it, but he said something like, for the sake of a peaceful transition of power, we need to decide it quickly. So that's why he, you know, joined in the agreement to not to not allow uh, votes that arrived after mm. uh, November third up in Wisconsin. And a lot of Democrats are really alarmed by that statement, feeling like it bodes ill for, um, you know, how the Supreme Court might decide. I just wondered what you guys thought about that. Again, it's just one more worrisome thing about the potential for violent reaction. I mean, it, yeah, it, it should be over at some point, but, I mean, frankly, as a, the line I've used is that after a two-year or longer campaign, whether we wait 24 or 48 hours is probably, in the long run, not going to make much difference, and it's more important to be accurate than to try and get something by the 11 o'clock news. I thought about this for a while, <clears throat> and it appears to me, guys, that um, the people who have the power and the numbers in a constitutional way make the rules. Right. Because even in, in the order of things, like Robert's Rules of Order, you can call for a... Um, <clears throat> A dispensation of the rules, mm-hmm. right? You can, and by three fourths vote, you can get the rules changed for that one particular instance. And whether the president followed this or not, or whether the, uh, the Senate followed it, but it, it just appears to be justified, just based on how the power grid works, and uh, <clears throat> everything is in order. And um, and this is. My my concern is that this reaction doesn't convert into a mean scheme to uh, just completely undo the American Constitution and overturn the court's right to make these kind of judgments. 
Well, uh-huh. lots more right. interesting stuff to talk about coming up in the second half of Armchair Politics. We have to break now for our top of the hour uh, sort of uh, program ID, but uh, then we'll we'll continue with part two of Armchair Politics with our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, on the uh, left and right, respectively. And uh, we also have joining the roundtable Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with uh, more armchair politics right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 